Hello, and welcome to another Real Estate with Wendy podcast. Today, we're going to talk about subject two. Hey, Jean, do you remember the last time we spoke about subject two? We just touched on it briefly. Do you remember what we said about subject two? I remember that it has nothing to do with subject one or three. (laughs) Okay, so let's go over what subject two actually is. Subject two is just another word for a assumption of a loan. If you get a certain type of loan, sometimes they're assumable loans, sometimes they're not. But if the loan is assumable, then you can do a assumption of that loan subject to whatever the terms of the loan are, whatever the interest rate is, whatever, however long it takes to pay off, if there's a balloon payment on that, just whatever the original terms of that loan were, you are assuming those terms and doing it just the same as it was to be done originally. So one is subject to the agreement made by another party before you assumed the loan. Correct. Yes. And in fact, I happen to have a example. My son, of all people, is, of course, he hears mom talk real estate. He's been hearing mom talk real estate for 20 some odd years, maybe longer. He's heard property management. He's heard tenants this, investor that. He's heard wholesaling. He's heard every single bit of every single thing that I talk about, including subject two. So I guess him and some friends were sitting around the campfire one evening and talking about what's going on in the family. Well, as it turns out, a person in the family had just gotten engaged and was was looking for someone having they're going to move out of their house and they wanted someone hopefully in the family to pick up this mortgage and just take it over for her. She didn't want to sell it outright to a stranger. She wanted to pretty much gift it to someone close in the family, but not really gift it, just help me out for a few years like there's, you know, however many years left on this mortgage. And it's a ridiculous low amount in my son's case. I think it's like four or five years left on the mortgage. And it's a ridiculously low rate because 25 years ago, can you imagine what they originally borrowed? And then, of course, what the payment would be on that. So it's a terribly small number. And, of course, they're ever ever so happy to pay it off, him and his wife. And it's his wife's mom who is doing this deal for them. And why? Because it's her daughter and her granddaughter and her family that is going to be taking over. And it is such a beautiful thing that this is even an opportunity for them. But having heard about it, listened to it, knowing what it's all about, and then how to, of course, ask mom for the right contracts and how to draw them up and proceed without having to go through pretty much anything at all. They don't even have to close on the house really until after everything is said and done, there will be a switching of the deed, but they can do that now. They can do that later. It's $25 to go down to the courthouse and switch the deed over out of one's name and into another. Other than that, there's really no cost associated with it from either closing or any other types of fee. Can you believe that? Sounds unbelievably lucky. And uh, with that, I'll add that this woman must be in her 50s or 60s. She has probably been single, so she is marrying a new partner who comes with his own set of financial history. Therefore, she can really just let this go so she benefits her 
child and grandchild and your son. So what I'm really hearing is I need to find me a sugar mama and I can part with my house and leave it to my daughters as well. Ha <laughs> oh, ha. That is hilarious. Again, it was very fortunate for them to find this deal. They are out there, though, and if you listen very carefully, this was just something that was mentioned in in passing, and my son and my daughter-in-law talked about it privately after whatever campfire party was over and everybody went home. They just went back and said, hey, you know, what about this? What about, you know, if we ask mom to do a subject two and blah, 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 and it came out of knowing the knowledge and putting it into action at the right time after hearing bomb like that dropped. But yeah, she's going up to somewhere in the mountains and she's going to live a beautiful, happy life. And of course she is, yes, getting older. And I think that, you know, what comes around goes around. One day they may have to be, you know, taking care of, they may, my son may be having to take care of me. So I want to take care of him because, you know, yeah, you want to be taken care of well when you're a little older and you can't take care of yourself anymore. The motivations are there for for them to do well by each other. So that is their little setup and their experience with subject two. Again, it's just a matter of knowing how to draw up the contracts, which with the original mortgage still in place, all that has to be done is for them to fax or email or overnight or whatever you the contracts for you to sign, for you to assume that mortgage subject to the original terms. And you would contact the owner of the original mortgage would contact that person. Let's say, for example, Jane Smith has, you know, 123 Main Street, and she is wanting to move out and move on with her life. And, you know, times are getting bad, and she just doesn't want to deal with any of this. She just wants to maybe give it to someone, her friend, her family member, whomever, to take over her mortgage so that she doesn't lose credit, whatever. Circumstantially, sometimes they make sense. This is something where if you don't want your credit damaged, this is something that people would do. So Jane Smith is sitting here on this property that let's say she has 10 years left on her mortgage, a 15-year mortgage, and she has 10 years left. She's paid on it a little while, but she's used to paying rent. So this to her the past five years has seemed or could seem in her mind like rent, and she's moving on somewhere else because, again, market change. She doesn't want to deal with selling it, the fees, the blah, blah, blah the headaches, the hassles, or her credit going down. So she finds John Smith down the road, and John Smith says, I will pick up this house for you. I will assume this mortgage. She says, okay, let me call my mortgage company. I'm going to see how we do this. So they find out, first of all, whether or not the loan is assumable. Then the mortgage company says either yes or no. Yes, it's assumable. Great. Okay, so I have, you know, John Smith over here that wants to assume this mortgage, they're going to, just like with any other type of loan, they're going to probably want to run his credit and, you know, get his loan approved and go through all of this process. It's a normal process that you're going to have to do when you're getting any type of loan, including the assumable kind. Just expect that to happen. You go through this process, you assume the loan. Sometimes there's a balloon payment, sometimes there's not. Either way, you get into the process, so now you've assumed this loan, and you have to figure out the terms of, does it immediately get put into your name through the county? If so, you may have to go to the county, and again, you'll have to ask your mortgage company 
how to do this because it varies. But again, it's so easy. You just go to the mortgage company and have them change the deed to say, now it is this person who has assumed the mortgage and they'll print out a new security deed and a new warranty deed. Now I have another situation. I have another investor that, and this is this has been happening for the past two years. These particular investors I met at one of my classes. They met me learning how to do wholesaling and investing with no money down, or how to get started with not using your own money, not using your own credit. You know, how do you become an investor out of thin air, nowhere? We did this class, and afterwards they said, "Hey, you're a realtor, you're a property manager, you do all these things. We want you to manage." our property we have over here and it was very local to me. So I said, okay, I'll do that. And, you know, you can probably get some free information out of me in the process just by, you know, us working together. Anyways, I started, of course, doing property management and doing things with them. It wasn't too long before I found out that this gentleman was ill. And as it turns out, he passed. And the homes that were his rental properties were still in his name. They were not paid off. The mortgages were in his name only. Now, he had a wife that, I mean, were they legally married? Were they not? They did not have the same last name. That's all I know. She says they were legally married. Who knows? Who cares? Either way, she had a hard time. For example, if she wrote a check that it would say her name instead of, you know, coming from her account versus coming from his. So there were so many ramifications there. She had a difficult time. And for years, she had to find ways to get that payment in without them knowing that it was her paying it. Although all the while she was paying on, quote unquote, his thing. Now, however, there was a will. The will said that everything went to her. So it was just a matter of documentation being presented. There's no way that, you know, the mortgage people could have really said, oh no, we're not going to do business with you now, blah, blah, blah. But it was just a matter of how to get it done properly. So anyways, fast forward two years later, now they're finally transferring it. They're like, they're, oh yeah. Uh, she's like, oh yeah, I've been paying it all this time. He's deceased. Here's his death certificate. Here's the will. Here's your paperwork, blah, blah, blah. Plus there's a age, like she's whatever age and now something has to be done. I don't know. She's now having everything switched over into her name. And yes, it is now happening that it's being transferred. It's going into, instead of being in the deceased's name, now hers. And yes, she has had to buy her own property subject to... Yes, um, they were both students of mine, and yes, they both stayed students of mine. After his passing, she still was. If you hang out with me for too long, you're going to catch on to this kind of stuff anyways, just having been around me. So they caught on to things pretty quick. They were pretty, you know, smart people, high IQs, and you could just tell them a little something and they would run with it, you know, and just do things. So I loved working with them. I still manage her properties. She still calls me for advice. I still handle things for her when she needs me to handle them, whether on a realtor level, a wholesaler level, an investor level. We've tried to JV on a few things. They just, sometimes things don't work out. And that should probably be a future podcast. As many stories as I have about things going a certain way and things going the way that we're trying to talk about in the podcast, I have just as many stories for things that did not work out. 
And what can I say about those stories other than each and every one was a learning experience and each and every one taught me something to give me a perspective to then go on and succeed in the future. Some things are destined and some are not. Again, I wouldn't change anything that I've done. Sometimes you do things and you throw stones out there and you just never know what's going to, I guess, roll back down the hill towards you. (laughs) So is there anything that she should have done when her husband died right away, again, whether they were legally married or not, instead of waiting that two years, instead of, was she trying to trick the mortgage or just trying to find a legal way to do it? What was the motivation behind not submitting the death certificate earlier and saying, don't worry, I've inherited this property, I've inherited this loan, I'll take it over? I think she was worried about, at the time, maybe her credit was or was not, like, I don't know what her motivation was exactly, but I'm sure she had her valid reasons for wanting to do things that the way she did them. And that's the thing about investors. Sometimes they have their own motivations. They're not necessarily going to tell you what they are, or if they do, you're going to keep your mouth shut about it. I've learned not to ask. You just don't ask investors what they do. It's not legally my responsibility. Like for example, once I turn over monies to an investor, It's their rent monies that I've collected on their property. It's not my property. It's not my money. I may have had it sitting in an escrow account for a few days, but it's their money. So once I turn it over to them, who knows what they do with it? You mean like if they bothered to pay taxes on that money? Right. Um, Again, sometimes, and, and I do know a lot of legal loopholes that I have another investor, a very, very dear friend of mine from church. He wanted to go to these classes on in not just investing, but also insurance and Roth IRAs and all sorts of good stuff. So instead of him doing it because he was busy and traipsing all over the world, he sent me to these classes and had me learn the information. And a lot of it was about how to get legal tax loopholes through different means that, you know, you can then live at zero. Have you ever heard of The Power of Zero? It's a book. Okay, there you go. It's, it's, we're all striving to be at zero. To be there is a very special place that, like I said, for those who don't understand what it is or don't strive to be there, then, you know, there's some people that will never get it. Okay, so we know what Subject 2 is. Now, where can you find them? So Subject 2 is going to be easy to find in several places. Just like with my son, he heard about something just by listening to conversation in his life. And you will find that those happen. Sometimes you'll find them at your bank. I've had my branch manager call me and say, hey, Wendy, here's a phone number. Call these people. Sometimes you'll find them on the MLS. If you look on your state, in mine, it's the GAMLS, so, or GAMLSHomes.com. So if you look on the MLS, you could sometimes look down in the public notes and see that this can be done subject to. You'll see sometimes that it says loan is assumable. So again, if it doesn't say that, What can you do? You can always ask. You can call the agent up. And when you're on the MLS and looking on MLS homes or realtor.com or whatever, these are going to be ones that an agent is representing that particular property for, you know, sale or for rent. And you're going to find that that particular realtor is the person you need to talk to. And they'll know if it's an assumable loan. They'll know if you can get it subject to whatever you're going to want to ask 
what the terms are. What is the interest rate? You want something lower than whatever your credit says. You know what I'm saying? That's a that's a subject to thing in and of itself. Having good credit, you could get a loan for right now, maybe five or six percent. Having not so good credit, it could be up to 10 percent. And if you're talking about a private loan or a, a hard money loan, it could be 10 to 15 or higher. And these are things that are subjectable to your specific circumstances based on your specific credit, how much money you have down specifically. A lot of private money and hard money lenders are going to insist upon 10 to 20 percent, usually 20 percent down. They will not finance more than 80 percent of a hard money loan. And even with private money, a lot of them want money down. In my case, I found someone from a club that I went to regularly. And because this person was a personal friend and a family friend, I was able to do business with this particular investor with no money down, which is unheard of. If you network properly and you find the right people, then you're going to be able to do these deals without using your own money. And that's a whole nother podcast, you know, how to do all of these things that I talk about without using your own money, without using your own credit. So I just assumed that subject two would have to be word of mouth. It would have to be a friend, a relationship, a family member, but that's not the case. No, that is not the case. In fact, even if on paper, it does not say that the loan is assumable. Even if it doesn't say subject to on the MLS, even if it doesn't appear on paper or anywhere on record that this is something that can be done, what do we do, Gene? We ask. You ask the mortgage company, you ask the person who's selling the home, the person who you're writing the contract with, that whether it's the realtor, whoever you're doing business with, you ask them, hey, is this something that is assumable? If it's not assumable, hey, call your mortgage company. Can we make it assumable? It is up to their discretion as to whether or not they want to do this. They're probably going to want to, again, run your credit and see how good. You may have better credit than what the other person had. And in that case, don't you think they're going to want to do business with you even if you don't have an assumable mortgage yet? Yes, they are going to do it. So again, ask, ask, ask. It's like getting an option. You are never going to get one if you don't ask for one. You always ask these things. So that is, um, so we know what subject two is. We know where we can find them, and there's lots of ways to find them, and there's lots of ways to ask. Now, again, what are the benefits of doing a loan subject to? What do you think they might be, Gene? Other than the low interest rate, which seems very appealing, I don't know. Okay, so yes, if the interest rate is something lower than what you know currently the market standard is, that is definitely an attraction. But there are other attractions too. Number one, you're getting a home for often less than what it's worth, the market value, and you're getting it for the, a less than 15 or 30 year term. So if it was originally 30 years and there's only 15 left, or if it was originally 15 years and there's only seven left or how, whatever the number is, you're no matter what, you're getting it for less time than what it originally was. So that in and of itself is a discount. And of course, that makes it almost always worth doing. Again, sometimes the interest rate at the time was super, super high. You got to look at that based off of, you know, how many years has it been paid on? What is the property worth now? When you run all those numbers, then you find out if it's a deal that's worth doing. It's so rare that I've seen one that's not just a jump on it now or forever hold your peace situation. 
Okay, so I've got another story for you. Subject two. Many years ago, when I was first starting out, being a real estate agent kind of gives you a certain in on certain investing. You know, you've you've got access to certain things. You hear about deals, blah, blah, blah. I had a little bit of knowledge about how to do some things. I had a cousin that approached me saying that they were looking to buy their first home. They were just getting started in life, you know, maybe 18, 20 years old and wanted to buy their first home. But not just him, him and also his brother, the two of them. I was thinking, oh, okay, you know, that would be great. Well, they happened to find the house right next door to where their mom lived. And it was their mom who said, hey, the house next door is for sale. You know, guy's going to sell it. I don't even think it ever even went on the market, to tell you the truth. They called me and asked me, Wendy, what do we do about this? Ask what type of loan. Ask if you can just assume this particular loan. And whatever their terms are, if it's profitable for you, and at the time, the market at the time was super, super, super high, like late 90s, early 2000s. So with the market being super high, it was way before that that this gentleman got his loan originally. I think they still had maybe 15 or 16 years left on the mortgage itself, but the interest rate was much lower. So they just bought that loan subject to the same terms, the same whatever. And I think they even paid him some sort of a, like a referral or a finder's fee, a thousand dollars as a thank you very much for doing this deal with us. Either way, they are still living in the house. It is now paid off. They got it subject to the original terms and only ended up because they made double payments on it. They paid it off in like five years or something. It was insane. And it's right on one of the major lakes in Georgia. And I mean, like walk out your door and bam, you're right there on the water. It was a good investment to say the least. And they got it for, I want to say 60 something thousand dollars. The market was super high at the time, but this was so long ago that even, you know, it seemed like a lot at the time and they were freaking out. They had to do it together because they were freaking out thinking that they could not have done it by themselves. And, oh, how are we going to do this? Da, 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 da. I'm like, you can do it. You can do it. Go for it. And yeah, here they are all these years later. Very, very happy. So the moral of the story is, If the market's high, if the market's low, no matter what the market's doing, it's always a good day to invest in real estate. And I say that all the time, always a good time. Let's get out there, let's find those deals, and let's start investing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Estate with Wendy podcast. And of course, if you would like to send in your questions or comments, Send them to realestatewindypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, guys. 